Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, DJs and DJs of the future. This episode of the podcast is supported by Studio11music.com, your friendly professional music studio. If you need production, recording, mixing or mastering on your music, Mark can help. With over 200 million streams on Spotify alone, tracks that have gone through Studio 11 are making waves and getting plays. They work with big names in the industry and young aspiring producers. Contact Studio 11 today for more information. Use the code FELIX, that's F-E-L-I-X, the code FELIX, to get 10% off your booking via the website studio-11-music.com or simply mention FELIX when you contact Mark at Studio 11 Music via any means to get your 10% discount. You can find more episodes of this podcast, including chats with James Hype, Ben Hemsley, Ridney, Vanilla Ace, Tim from the Utah Saints, and many, so many more on iTunes, Spotify, and on Mixcloud. Simply search Felix Leiter in the house. In this episode, I talk to Ben Santiago about Ibiza this summer and how the island has changed over the last 15 years while he's lived there. He arrived in 2004 with a dream, and it is fair to say he's lived out most DJ's dreams in the time since. From super club residencies to forming a disco supergroup, he's got some incredible stories to tell. So, let's get into it. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are. Ben Santiago, how are you, sir? How am I? Um, <laughs> that's a broad question. I'm bearing up. I'm bearing up. I'm, um, generally speaking, I'm all good. But um, to be honest, I've had a little bit of a meltdown just in the past couple of days just because of COVID. And uh, I think like most people, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, hasn't it? We haven't contracted it yet. Um, I'll say yet. Um, but yeah, just watching the news a lot. Um, and seeing a lot last yesterday that that, that places or sorry people rather that have caught the virus uh, and then have recovered and got over it uh, months subsequently later now coming back into hospital with further illnesses even more severe. Um, my wife's got asthma, um, and I don't know. We kind of we was very very vigilant just to kind of go back a step. We. Um, our skybox, we, we live in Spain, uh, well, Ibiza, and um, our skybox broke at the start of the year. And on our Apple TV, all we could get was uh, Sky News. So that's we've been, <laughs> whether that's a good thing or not, I'm not sure. But we like we saw the COVID thing coming in January and we were watching it and we were like, this is definitely like coming our way. It's like it's a mathematical certainty, surely. Um and yes, yeah, so at first we were very, very vigilant. Um, and just, yeah, these past couple of weeks, we've really let our guard down. And it's kind of, it's done my head in a little bit because I hate the thoughts of like watching my wife not be able to breathe or, or, or something serious happen uh, out of pure stupidity on, on our on our behalf kind of thing, you know. So, so yeah, just these last couple of days in light of stuff that I'm seeing on the news, I've, I've been having a little bit of a hard time with it all, really. But that aside, um, yeah, everything's really good. We've, we've, we've managed to keep quite a, 
quite a positive frame of mind for everything. Um, a lot to be grateful for. I won't bore you with the details, but like a few things happened and like we dodged quite a few bullets, really. Um, we nearly bought a house um, and put down a deposit. Thank God we didn't do that because that was based on the earnings we would have had this year, which was, was obviously all gone to pot. So now we would be, we'd, we'd find ourselves in a position now whereby having to make a decision do we see it through or do we like wipe our mouse with the deposit and we probably would have done the, done the latter, you know, which would have really hurt. Um, and yeah, we're, we're counting our blessings that that happened. We're counting our blessings that we've got savings uh, that can see us through. We're counting our blessings that we're together. Um, a lot to be grateful for. Um, so yeah, generally speaking, all good. It's a bit of a long answer. That's a simple. How are you? Gonna, I was going to say, yeah, for a Ben, how you doing? That was that was bold. I mean, there's, there's 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 lots of stuff in there that I could pick up on, but like you know, it's it's okay. certainly not a not a not a podcast about COVID. But obviously, we're all mm. you know we're in a similar boat work wise. Obviously, there's a lack of gigs. You got you know you mentioned that you're out there in Ibiza. You guys would normally be absolutely for anyone who doesn't know who is your wife, sir. Lovely Laura. There you go, the saxophone player. So for any, you know, oh, so, everybody's like, oh, it's him. <laughs> so, but 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 you would be flat out normally at this time. Of yeah, year. like yeah, it's a shame because, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we had uh, I've been here for 15, 16 years now. Um, Laura, Laura, I met kind of I think three years into it, and she moved out here, so she's been here just a little bit less than I have. Uh, we've both been working very hard, and this year was the accumulation of all of our hard work. We finally had our own events at Ibiza Rocks, our own weekly event, um, and, and it was kind of like everything that we'd worked towards. Um, and we kind of we took we took the the winter off, knowing that we had all these gigs coming up, and we really wanted to focus on that. Um, so yeah, we've kind of had the rug pulled from under our feet a little bit, but it is what it is really. But, but yeah, as you say, like we, we would be manic now, um, and things would be absolutely flying for us now, but obviously they're not. A lot, a lot of people ask me about when I, you know, we do different types of gigs, different levels of gigs, whatever we've worked together at digital before in Newcastle. But what's funnily enough, some people ask me about missing gigs and like, yeah, I do really miss gigs. But weirdly, mm. I don't have, I haven't had a lot of gig envy in the last few months because you're not, normally you're sitting there scrolling through your Instagram or your Facebook and you see someone doing this gig or someone's at that concert or someone's at this show. And I'm like, mm. oh, I wish I was doing that gig. Weirdly, I've felt there's been a lack of my brain going, oh, I wish I was. Even at this time of year, normally I'd be seeing my mates in Ibiza or wherever and I'd be going, oh, I yeah. wish I was doing that gig. So in a weird way, I haven't had as much gig envy <laughs> about it because I haven't seen as much of it but I have still uh, you know I've said it on this podcast before I really miss I miss being involved as you will do with the people the crowds the music the backstage yeah. chat the people's you know people that you see passing through the gigs coming to the different gigs um it's seeing people enjoying themselves like you get that a lot here I think it's one of the most rewarding things of of, of being here is that the people that come and the dance floors that are in front of you they're, this is their once in a, a year holiday you know they've been saving up and looking forward to this for ages and to see people like having those moments is really special but yeah well, I'm sure it'll be when everyone's I've seen a lot of people say I think you know next year I'll be I'll be bigger than than, than ever which I, I hope is the case um but mm. let's leave Covid for a second and return mm. to the sort of format of the podcast and we go 
First question is always takes you right back, Ben, to where do you, way before DJing, way before potentially like house music, way before all this stuff, we're trying to go right the way back to what your first childhood memories of music are. You know, was it a parent? Was it in a car? Was it in the house? Was it in the kitchen? You know, way before kind of like, you know, you started collecting music way, way, way back. Just what are the first sounds you're hearing? Who was your first who are the first people that are playing music while you're around? Is it siblings? Is it parents? Is it, fr- I mean, it's before friends even? Just I'm trying to get to that first sort of music that right. you heard. Yeah, it's very cliche, but uh, my parents were big music fans uh, and they played a lot of music in the house. I can still see like the record collection and there was a Rolling Stones album, or I think it was a compilation actually, Get Stoned it was called, and... Um, they had all their LPs there and, and they loved music. They always had loud music playing in the house. So yeah, stuff like the Stones, Stevie Wonder, they loved as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was, I was a kid in the eighties. And so yeah, all that kind of, uh, I have a real nostalgia for, for like those eighties records. I love rock. Um, yeah, I love all sorts of music, but yeah, I'd, I'd say, I'd say really just from my parents and we used to go to a lot of parties like my my parents were part of a kind of a gang of other parents that had kids so they would all go to parties together and like that classic thing where you'd fall asleep as kids on the chairs on the outs and they put the coats over you and all that kind of thing so I was always kind of around it um and then yeah I got into kind of house music I would have been I would have been like let me work this out I would have been about 11 12 maybe 13 like the late 80s yeah uh living in london um there were two pirate radio stations one called center force another called sunrise uh and acid house music was the explosion and um it was funny because the djs would play acid house and hip-hop together um because both of those kind of genres both exploded around that same time uh and yeah my friends and i we we absolutely how does an 11 year old find a pirate radio station is that introduced to by friends or are you have your parents got it on like because no not my parents my sister i had i had an elder sister there you go uh and and (laughs) it was like there were there's 18 months between us um so yeah she must have heard it from her friends or whatever and she she actually started buying the records and you know what it's like you just your sister's playing it and then you go around a friend's house and his big brother's playing it as well and it's just kind of around and then then yeah you hear about these radio stations you tune in you record them uh you've got your favorite djs and you discuss discussing it all with your mates and um a friend of mine uh I, I remember going around my friend's house and we'd get get his hi-fi and put his sister's hi-fi next to it and use that as a kind of makeshift pair of decks obviously no mixer but you'd use the volumes on the different hi-fires and have a go at mixing and eventually he got a pair of um Technics BD22s which were like belt drive turntables uh, which had pitch control on them very difficult to mix with uh, being belt drives. But anyway, eventually he got some 1210s uh, and then we were, we were away. Uh, we were buying the records. So what and, sort of age is this? What sort of record, what sort of age are you getting to actually go and buy records yourself? 
Um, I would, by this point, I probably would have been 14, 15. I went okay. to my first rave when I was 15. So t- okay, uh, so tell, us about, tell us about the first rave at 15. Oh, my God. Um, so that was a place in Edmonton. Uh, at, I mean, it's funny because it, my friends and I, we were into skating as well. And then that kind of evolved from um, skateboarding to roller skating. Um, and there was a place in um, in Edmonton on this on this trading estate, and it's called Roller Express. Uh, and it was just basically it was like an ice skate, not like an ice skating rink, but for roller skaters. Uh, and you just skate round and round. And then the whole racing kicked off. And this venue that we were going around as kids, going roller skating. Fast forward a couple of years, and we're in there raving. <laughs> and uh, so my first rave, it was in April 1991, uh, and there were a bunch of promoters, and they were called Elevation. Uh, and and now the kind of by now the music had evolved to hardcore. Uh, <clears throat> DJs like LSD, Kenny Ken, uh, Slipmat, the Rat Pack. The Rat Pack were my favourites. So I love the Rat Pack. Um, yeah, an MC called MCMC. He was amazing. DJ Rap, all those kind of guys. And yeah, it was that. It was that kind of yeah, happy hardcore, hardcore, happy hardcore. Carl Cox used to come and play as well. Actually, uh, he, he'd always be like the last guy on, and he'd play like a lot more kind of like techno, kind of tougher sound. Um, but yeah, um, can we talk about? Yeah, of course. Uh, you yeah, can swear. And yeah, talk so, what you want. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I remember I. Um, I had my first experience <laughs> and they were these rhubarb and custards and there was five of us and uh, four four of the guys were away before I was and I was thinking, I, I, I don't get this, nothing's happening. <laughs> and, and, and then next thing I was just away and I was, uh, just, I'll never forget that. I mean, nobody ever forgets their first time, do they? But um, yeah, amazing. And I don't know. I loved, I mean, the music was one thing, um, but I think obviously back then it was, um, I loved, I loved the kind of unity of it and, and, and the ethos that came with it. It was all like, you, I, I used to go raving in a pair of tracksuit bottoms and a t-shirt. Like it didn't matter what you look like. Uh, if someone trod on your foot, you'd end up hugging them and becoming their best friend for the night. And, it was this whole kind of unity and love and it was all about the peace and love. And it was, it was just, a, it was amazing. I would struggle to put it into words that the energy uh, and the atmosphere at, at those early raves, nothing has ever come close. Nothing has ever come close. Uh, they were very, very special times. I'm, I'm glad that I caught them. I'm, I'm a bit gutted that I was too young to kind of miss the, the early, like the very beginnings, like the 89, the M25, uh, the illegal raves, um, because like older peers at that time that that, that made it to those events, uh, when they spoke about, it, I was always really jealous. I'd love to have kind of experienced that, but but yeah, that said, I'm I'm really glad that I, I had those kind of times in the early nineties. Um, yeah, amazing times. So if we go back to those um, those early record buying experiences, then yeah, were you were you getting them from like? Like a HMV, were you getting them from a like a, an independent record shop? Were you buying them off mates? Like when you just this, I'm interested in this sort of the start of you starting to buy records and start to learn to. Yeah, yeah. so so on the pirate stations that we'd record the shows, and if you were lucky, the DJ would tell you what record he was playing. 
there were certain records back then um, that you'd hear them and you'd love them. And it was obviously not like today where you can Shazam it or, or ID a record like that. Um, <clears throat> so we'd have a list of stuff that we'd like to buy. Uh, sometimes you go and like there was a few independent record stores. We used to go to Black Market Records a lot in Soho. Uh, there was there was another one, yeah, Nikki. Um, there was another one in uh, Romford. Uh, a friend of mine lived out in Brentwood, um, so there was another one in Romford called Boogie Times. Um, that was where like I don't know if you know Suburban Bass, the All record right, yeah. label, Sons of Loop the Loop. Yeah, um, yeah, that was that was there, and we'd go there. It was a really I've actually funnily enough just got back in touch with her. There was a, there was a black dude there called Winston who very, very kindly, I remember going in there, I must've been like, yeah, early, early teens. And he was scratching and he must've been in his twenties or something. imagine this spotty little teenager going, Oh, that's really cool. How'd you do that? And, and he very kindly said, uh, yeah, come back when I finish work and I'll teach you. And I went and I had a series of like lessons with him and teaching him. It was very kind of him. Yes, yeah, so I found him recently on Instagram and had a chat with him. But um, anyway, yeah, we'd 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 have a list of records um, and we just try and find them. Go into the record shop, speak with the guys in there. They tell us what what's good and not. And yeah, we'd, and like it was. I mean, we bought all like kind of like the early classic house stuff, like Ray's Break for Love. Um, Patty Day right before my eyes um, and stuff like uh, we was into Big Daddy Kane as well um, he was a really good rapper I don't know if you know him he was on Chilling Records with a famous hip hop producer called Marley Mal. Um Rapper's Delight I remember buying that just all that kind of stuff and then and then uh, and then it went on to the hardcore stuff and we was buying like the hardcore records so and, and at I was going to say, Sorry. was it quite? No, it was not at all. I was just going to say, is it quite? Was it quite a natural progression for you? Like you seem to just be like really into this DJing thing very early, um, mm. buying records, going to a rave. Were you like? Were you pretty much like I'm going to be a DJ at this point? Because it doesn't like you know. Thinking back to we must we must be similar ages ish. Thinking yeah. back to it, and other people have mentioned on the podcast, like it's not always a thing that look. It's it's easy for us to be like now, nah, like oh yeah, we're DJs. That's what we do, and we've done it for twenty years, or whatever. But it wasn't. It didn't always seem like a job choice at the age of fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. No, it's funny because uh, in answer to your question, no, not at all. It, I, I never ever considered for a million years that I would be a DJ. Like it was only ever a hobby, and and that was it. Um, and yeah, at the age of 22, um, I left England. I've not lived in England since then, really. I went, I went backpacking. Uh, I had a year in Australia. Um, I stopped off in Thailand for a few weeks on the way back. I flew into Malaysia, traveled up through Malaysia into Thailand, spent a bit more time in Thailand, came back to England, uh, and then I went and then, <laughs> then ended up on a boat. I went sailing across the Atlantic um, and then got to the Caribbean, jumped on and off of boats there. And then a friend of mine bought, uh, bought a bar in the Canary Islands. So I left the Caribbean, went over to the Canary Islands and I was working with him. From there, I ended up working in a nightclub as a PR, you know, one of those annoying buy one, get one free. Um and then at some point, so then I befriended the DJ 
and we were just mates and one night I was hanging out with her and she just happened to mention to me um that she needed to go back to England for a wedding her mate's wedding but the boss wouldn't let her go unless she could find cover and that she was really struggling and and I'd never mentioned to her that I was into DJing because it was just a, as I say it was a hobby and and I said well actually like I can DJ if you lend me your CDs and show me how to use the CD decks I can cover you so that's what ended up happening I absolutely so that was my first ever live gig really like all these years after doing it as a hobby Amazing. um and and then as kind of fate would have it um my brother phoned me up and he he, he won a holiday to Ibiza on Kiss FM uh, and and, in, and invited me to come out here. He's, he said, I've won a holiday. Do you want to come and join? And I was like, of course. So came to Ibiza, just absolutely fell head over heels in love with the island. At, at the same time that I'd started DJing and, and I did not want to leave here. I mean, that's probably an, another story in itself, but I ended up leaving here kicking and screaming. Um, but I just swore that, do you know what? I'll come back next year and make a go of it. DJing, um, and and I and I did. So, what was the year that you? What was the first year that you went and left kicking and streaming? And what was the year that you went back to that first time to make a go? So of that it? would have been two thousand and four, and then I came back the following year. So it was two thousand and five. Talk us yeah. through that kind of like the experience of that first year, two thousand five. Um, it was tough, but I think I, I think without sounding like a bit of a dick, uh, the, the traveling experiences that I'd had made me realize that anything is, anything is achievable. Like you, you just have to go out and get it and, and be prepared to work for it. Um, so I got here and, um, there's a really, really good book that I owe so much to, uh, my friend gave it to me when I knew I was going to get into DJing and I actually thought he was taking the piss. He said, I've got a really good book for you. It's called how to DJ properly. And, uh, and I thought he was taking the piss and he gave me this copy of this book is by Bill Brewster and Frank Bowton or Broughton. Yeah. I can't pronounce his surname, but anyway, um, again, if there's any kind of like aspiring DJs listening, that is probably the first and best tip that I can give you is to get that book. Um, because I owe so much to that book and it taught me, I was arrogant enough to think that I didn't need to, I didn't have anything to learn, but it taught me so much. And one of the, one of the big pearls of wisdom that it gave me was that when you're starting out, don't put anything beneath you. Um, so what was it like when I got in 2005? I, I just came here with an open mind. Don't put anything beneath me. Uh, and to be brutally honest, I was, I was probably very, very lucky. Um, I was a bit kind of disheartened to discover when I got here that uh there's there's an abundance of djs that are prepared to work for free um they everyone comes out here with their dreams and their records and they can't find dj work so they end up putting up posters or being a pr or whatever but they've got all their records with them and they'll just do anything just to play them so obviously this abundance of djs that are willing to play for free is exploited um so that was kind of quite overwhelming because i thought right i'm really up against it here but yeah as i said i, I just i just got lucky there was a bar in the west end um it was called eden rooms and plastic was the only bar that was kind of decent 
um, and they was having a bit of success. So the following year, two bars tried to follow in their footsteps. One was Hush and one was Eden Rooms. Uh, and I just, I just, I got offered. They were, they were trialing people. Uh, I managed to get myself a trial, and and I landed the gig. Um, and then that was it. And then, do you want me to carry on from? Yeah, man. There? No, I, I think want to talk more about that first year. I think that's super interesting. Yeah, like yeah. What, what happened that first summer, and like I take it you stayed after that. Like, yeah, so home. I did. I did. No, I did. I, I had. Uh, I was still living in in the Canaries. And I kind of, I had a flat there with all my stuff and I had a cat as well. So my roommate kept that on and rented my room out. So I was always going to go back there at the end of the summer. But I, I went back, did the winter there, got my cat, packed my stuff and then moved to Ibiza full time the following year. Um, but yeah, that first summer, it, it was it was a lot of work. Like it was, you do you do 10 nights on and then, yeah, after 10 nights, you get a night off. And then you go back, you do 10 nights again. And, and I think I'd start at nine and finish at four in the morning. Uh, and yeah, obviously it's your first year in Ibiza, so you're partying loads as well. And I just remember by the end, my mate came out and, and uh, he was staying at Pikes. And I remember sitting up at the bar at Pikes just with my, my head on my, resting on my arms, just saying, I'm absolutely fucked. Like I'm burnt out. And, and, I, and I was absolutely burnt out. But it was a great summer. And then the following year, um, the following year, I had I had some mutual friends who were, or a mutual friend was uh, a partner in Hotel S Vive, um, which at the time was kind of flying with the Head Candy brand. And uh, I, had a, I had a mutual friend who was an owner. So I phoned him up in my first year and said, um, oh, hi, I'm a friend of Kingsley, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he said, oh, you've, you've missed the boat now. Uh, we've, we've filled all our DJs up. Um, and, and I just said, okay, fair enough. Do you mind if I keep your number and, and call you next year? And he, and he said, yeah, by all means. Uh, that was Nick. Uh, lovely guy. And yeah, I remember I completely forgot about it. And then one night I had a, I had a dream. I can't remember what happened in the dream, but it was something about SVV. And then I woke up and I was like, shit. I forgot about those guys. I called them up that morning and he, and he said to me, I can't believe you called me now. Like that's perfect timing. We're looking for DJs. Um, we're, we're sorting it all out right now. Um, get two CDs to me. Uh, I need a chill out CD for poolside and I need a dancing CD for in like in the bar inside. So I, I worked day and night on those. You know what it's like when you're like compiling a mix. I had to do two and like, Spent days just kind of like compiling it and then went around my friend's house, mixed them, dropped them off, uh, got the gig. Uh, and that was kind of a turning point for me, really, because I'd gone from, uh, again, it was like a lot, a lot of luck. I was in the right place at the right time. But I'd gone from uh, a West End DJ to somewhere that was like a really credible venue. Uh, and I think I did like two or three days with those guys and and – then I got a phone call saying I'm sitting here with Mark Doyle from Head Candy. He's starting a new label. Uh, they're looking for a DJ. Come down, play. If he likes you, you got the gig. I did that, got the gig. Um, and then I was his resident. Uh, they were doing parties at SV then on Saturdays for his new Fierce Angel label. Uh, and then I was doing that. And then from that, that kind of led on to a residency in Base Bar 
uh, in the port, which was a really kind of happening bar at the time. Uh, from that and the SVVA gigs, James Barton from Cream used to come in a lot. Uh, and uh, I was a little bit shrewd, but I saw what kind of music he liked and I played to him a little bit. Um, and then, um, yeah, one day he, he, he told me that he loved loved me as a DJ and I was like, you've got to, got to give me a gig then in Amnesia. And he, he, he made it happen. <laughs> uh, and then I was a cream resident for years and then I started work with Head Candy and it just all kind of like, snowballed really um a lot a lot of luck a lot of being in the right place at the right time I, I i think i think there's two components really i think it's luck and hard work uh and i think one without the other it's not going to work um the luck will give you the opportunities um but the hard work will um will ensure you that you deliver when you're given those opportunities and then you'll get asked back and and those opportunities will progress how have you seen um ibiza change in those 15 years like i mean we're talking obviously sort of forget this this season if you know what i mean but you know up until yeah. last season how have yeah. you how have you I mean, you've lived there in the off season as well but how have you seen it change how have you seen the music change and how have how have you changed to adapt to it or how have you not as if, if you think that you know you've yeah. gone your own way or whatever um i think how have i changed i think i've probably come a lot more well i mean in the time that i've been here i've i've met i've met a girl i've got married i've bought a house i've i've got older so on, on a personal note i've probably come a little bit more kind of boring if if <laughs> if i'm honest like i don't party as much as what i used to um but that's fine i'm just i suppose we've all got to grow up sometime um how has the island changed i think the island has it's it's become a lot more, it's kind of lost its, I don't want to, I think it's, I've seen it lose its hippie spirit a little bit more um, in the time that I've been here. Um, obviously, like the much talked about VIP thing, um, as there wasn't like anywhere really, like Pasha obviously had a VIP section, but everywhere else it was always about the dance floor. Um, but I don't hold that against the island. Um, in fact, on the contrary, I, I, I think that the whole VIP, I, I actually defend Ibiza when people talk about the VIP thing, because it's not its not an Ibiza uh, issue, is it? It's not just happened in Ibiza. It's the way that the world's gone. And that's how the market has evolved. People now want to go to clubs and get tables and have bottles and I would even argue that had Ibiza not adapted and gone VIP, it could probably now find itself as a has-been that has been left behind, you know. Um, so, yeah, the, the Ibiza thing. And then the music. Um, yeah, I mean, when I got here, it was kind of... Funky House was kind of blowing up. Then that evolved into Electro. That evolved into kind of Tech House. Um, but things go full circles, don't they? Like now, let's just straight up house is back and uh, disco's back. Um, so, yeah, techno's kind of, yeah, techno was kind of blowing up as well, more in like, I don't know, second, third, fourth year. That's pretty big now. Um, yeah. So you've, you've, I mean, I've, like I said, I've worked with you and I, I know that you, and obviously I'll come back to some of the, the residences and the gigs that you had in Ibiza, but mm. I, I know that you are a versatile DJ because of, you know, what I've known that you do and the brands that I've known you represented and the, and the gigs that you've had. 
I sometimes wonder what I would play if I was in a forest on my own with all the my vast music collection. I sometimes wonder what I would play. I think I reflect the dance floor a lot. I think I represent like the brand that I'm playing for or the crowd that I'm in front of. Mm. Is do you feel like there's a certain sound that that is that is still Ben Santiago, ben Santiago that you can or can't play or don't get to play as much as you'd like to or or do you just feel like you are kind of the representative of whatever brand or club or or party you're playing? That's a really good question. Um, that's a really good question. I, I I don't know that I've got a sound. I've certainly got a style when I play, um, but I've had such a broad spectrum of, of gigs in the time that I've played here. Um, like the cream stuff was always, I was always warming up. Uh, then the, the, the fierce angel, I was always kind of like the main night, but that was a completely different music to what I play at cream. On top of that, I had, I had a stint in the middle. I'm not doing it as much now, but I was doing, <coughs> excuse me. I was doing a lot of daytime stuff. Um, just playing like nice background music. And I used to love those sets because I'd play like hip hop and reggae and, and just like some really nice R and B, like old R and B, like Marvin Gaye kind of vibes, you know, uh, and just the nice soft electronic music, deep stuff, and just play play real kind of diverse stuff, Latin, and I used to love those. So I've not really got a sound, but I think I've got a style. Like no matter what I'm doing, I I try to keep my sets quite mixed not just kind of like one particular style and then just one track after another of those styles i i love like now i'm doing the stuff with melon bomb and that's all kind of disco stuff again um we play a lot of glitter box and i love throwing in unexpected records that people aren't it's the last record they're expecting to hear but they love it and and i i think that's what kind of makes Certainly when I was on the dance floors, that's what made the night stand out. That's what gave you those memories, like hearing records like that, that you just was not expecting to hear. But my God, when it came on, it was like a real moment, like you're making moments with people. And tell us a little bit um, about the Melon Bomb thing, because obviously I know about Paul and stuff. And so just give us a bit more, Just I might because I might go back a little bit further and ask you about other residencies but just talk a little bit about Melonborn how it came about and what that journey's been like for the last like year or so yeah that <laughs> again there's a there's a theme here isn't there that was just a lot of luck um so it would have been around five six years ago uh and there were a little group of us out in a, a restaurant it was in the middle of the winter uh myself uh, and Paul were there um, with our wives and a few other couples. Uh, and on another table was a guy called Scott Gray. And Scott had heard Paul and I play. He used to do sound systems and Laura and I did like this MTV party and he put the sound system on there. I think I was playing quite kind of soul and funk kind of vibes and Laura was playing a, a sax over the top and Scott's a massive soul and, uh, fol- fucking hell, soul and funk fan uh paul plays a similar style as well uh so scott i mean he said he had an epiphany but that night he's just he, he approached paul and i said uh I, I i think we should start something like I, I really feel like something special we could do something special and at the time paul and i we were like okay whatever got nothing to lose went for it um and 
Pikes had just been taken over by Ibiza Rocks at that point. It wasn't really the venue that it is now. Uh, it was in its infancy. I don't know if that's the right word to use about Pikes, but the, the new Pikes, um, where they have all the parties <coughs> on. And we approached them. Uh, they didn't really have much else going on. And uh, they said, yeah, give it a go. And this was in the winter. We did a party. Uh, and then another lad called Juan, he jo- he joined. And then there was four of us. And I don't know, Felix, somehow we just struck a chord with the locals. Uh, and they, people just loved us. And we become, everyone was talking about us. It was a bit of a buzzword. Uh, and it just, again, like right place at the right time. Um, and it, it just, I don't know, it just did, really, really worked out. And where, where did the name come from? It would be remiss of me not to ask. Where did the name yeah, come from? So, uh, we, we were, we were trying to think of names and Scott's a, a, an artist, a really good artist. If anyone's listening, chapter or, uh, chapter Ibiza, I think is Instagram thing. But if you search chapter Ibiza, he does this really cool artwork uh, and he said, I've got this old bit of art kicking around. I made this thing. Um, it's not sold. What do you reckon of this for a logo? And and it's like a a, a melon head with a bomb on top. Uh, and, and he just said, what do you think of that? And, we call, and we, Paul and I looked at him and was like, that's wicked. We love it. Uh, and he said, should we call it Melon Bomb Disco? And we said, let's drop the disco. And then that was it. And, and that's pretty much where the name came from. Absolutely love it. Well, so taking yeah. it back over those years, I mean, you mentioned some some big club names there. Like what what would you say has been your favourite sort of Ibiza residency? Obviously, you mentioned people like Cream. You've mentioned you know lots of other places. But what what would you say was? And obviously, you've probably yeah. I mean, yeah. That's I'll stick with that question. What was your favourite like little period? What was your favourite little residency? What was the time when you were just like looking back now, like? that was just mad madness and that was amazing and you know i'll never have a time like that again or hopefully you will but like you said we're all getting a bit older Mm, um i don't know if i've got a favorite period like a a standout moment was was playing the amnesia terrace uh and the ice when they when that ice cannon went off for the first time while i was djing like my hairs are standing on end now just 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 talking about it that that was amazing Favourite period? Uh, I've got a lot of fond periods. I don't know. It'd be hard for me to pick a favourite, to be honest with you. And so production-wise, because I bugged you after um, you and Laura came and did that gig at um, Newcastle, I think I bugged you for a little edit of yours. When did you start mm. picking up that kind of like production-y thing? What was, how, what was the first thing, software that you used? And, you know, how, if anyone else is listening who's kind of procrastinating and wants to get into doing the odd little edit for their sets and stuff, what, what advice yeah. have you got for them? Uh, I'm probably the worst person <laughs> to ask because I'm the world's best procrastinator. Um, but I, someone gave me Fruity Loops uh, and then I got Cubase. Um, and then from then I went on to Logic. Uh, Logic, I really kind of got into Logic, but recently I've started dabbling a little bit more on Ableton. Cool. Um, and so I know um, that you will, you know, you and Laurel working on some tunes for this summer and stuff what's yeah what is the what what were the plans what are the plans what can we hopefully expect to hear from you in the future like what are you prepared to talk about Uh, that you've you've got in any sort of pipeline or is that no we've got loads we've got we've got quite a 
few. We've got a couple that are finished, um, and we've got loads that are nearly finished. Um, but it's just all kind of come to a bit of a grinding halt, really, um, just because of COVID. And I'm, I'm not sure labels are signing so much now, and we're not really keen to push anything either because uh, I think it just could kind of get lost. I mean, at the same time, I think there's just going to be an abundance once it all starts, isn't there? There's yeah. going to be an abundance of decent music being released. Have, um, you, got, have you guys got any, because I know that some of the places like, um, I just, I, I don't, this is not a loaded question because I don't know. I just know that some of the mm. outdoor places are opening in Ibiza. Is there anything starting to fall into the diary for you individually, for Melon Bomb, for you and Laura? Like, is there anything starting to come into the diary for August, September, October? Um, yes, there is. Um, so last week on Sunday, I had my first event, actually, my first gig that I played in ages. That was at Ibiza Rocks. Uh, and then that was on Sunday. Uh, so this Sunday, Laura is joining me and we are going to do this one and then see how it goes. It's all kind of baby steps at the minute, Felix, like bit by bit by bit. Um, last week was just kind of dipping the toe in the water and see how it worked. And then, yeah, so now this week, Laura's joining us. And the, the, the plan, the plan is to just kind of do Sunday and then Monday we'll jump on the phone with those guys and we'll have a chat and we'll see how it goes. And what we've discussed so far (laughs) is that we'll do Sunday and then we'll chat on Monday. And if we were happy with Sunday, we'll agree to the following Sunday uh and then again chat the monday after that so it's all just kind of like bit by bit by bit um, what was your gig like on sunday how did it like for, obviously i don't live in ibiza you're out there a lot of people will be listening mm. who who might have a holiday book for later or might not be coming this summer how was it on sunday for you what was the atmosphere like what was it you know what's ibiza like on that on yeah that so i think the powers that be here uh don't want to encourage parties. I don't think they want to encourage, obviously they don't want to encourage to be seen to be putting on events where everyone's all congregated on a dance floor and, 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 and going crazy together. Um, so kind of out of respect for the government's wishes, uh, the venues that are opening are not playing dance music. Like we've been told to, you don't want, as mad as this might sound, uh, to play music that does not encourage people to dance. Um, you could argue that that's a bit weird, and I would probably agree with you, but then on the flip side, I kind of... I, I've seen how this whole thing's kind of evolved over time, and a month or two ago, this all looked completely impossible. Um, so my gig on Sunday, I was just playing like... 105, 110 BPM. It was just kind of like nice, kind of just nice, a nice groove, really. Um, and there was just people sitting around the pools. They've got their beds. The beds are all two meters apart. Everyone's socially distancing. Uh, and you're just kind of creating a vibe. And that's what's going to be happening this Sunday with Laura. Again, just to reiterate, no house music, no dancing. Um, 
and 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 I'm not just trying to put a positive spin on it, but like it is something new that we've not done before. People like whether it's us or whether it's another DJ, like it's it, we're doing something that we've not done before. You know, it's just you're seeing us almost the, the the analogy I'm thinking of is like when MTV used to do those unplugged sets. Yeah, you know, like bands like Nirvana that you'd normally there'd be a mosh pit and people going mad to. Now it's, you know, what I mean, you're hearing them in a different light. Uh, not comparing us to Nirvana, not for not for one moment, but like it's that similar kind of thing, you know. It's just it's something different, and uh, as I said, like it's we've got to kind of make some sort of compromise with the government that uh, they don't want large part parties, don't want to encourage large large events, um, and it's good that we can at least do a little something. So if you do want to come out here and sit by a pool and have nice music live, then great. If you want to come out here and dance, uh, I think you're going to be disappointed. Is it because, I mean, you're a great person to, to to speak about that, living there over the winters as well. And I did, I've had Fat Phil Cooper on this um, podcast before. I actually interviewed him in his, his little um, flat overlooking Dol, uh, Dol Vita, um, that, but Dol Villa. Dol Villa, sorry. But, um, but I mean, again, like, he spoke about it, but... There's a lot more to Ibiza than just, you know, the super clubs and the West mm. End. Um, mm. And I think that, you know, I think I'll be out in September for a little bit of a holiday, see some mates and bits and bobs. And there is a lot more to do than just being in those on those super, super club dance floors. For sure. For sure. One of the truest things I've ever heard said about Ibiza is Ibiza is a lot of things to a lot of people. Uh, there's so much here on offer. Uh, there's an abundance of amazing beaches, amazing restaurants. Uh, the like, I've got quite into the, uh, the hiking actually. Laura and I with another couple, and there's a couple of hiking books. Uh, we've been doing some amazing hikes in the winter, and it's a beautiful island. It's so much more than the clubs. So yeah, I mean, if you love the island, like, and you still want to come out, come out and see that side side of it you know you guarantee you will not be disappointed if anything you will fall in love with the island even more i fell in love with the island most when i did my first winter here like i thought that i fell in love on that first holiday and then i came back and did a summer and loved it even more but then after my second summer of working i did my first winter and that's when i really really fell in love with the island because that's when you see that's when you see the real ibiza you know yeah, I think that's I think that's really true. I, I'm I'm a big fan. I was out in January. I came out to see my mate to watch some NFL. <laughs> I was just hanging okay. out. For, I was just hanging out in Ibiza for a week in the winter. But um, so we'll start. Was the weather like, nice? It was. Uh, it was. It was nicer than the UK, mate. I tell you that. Yeah. Was it blue skies? It was all right. Yeah. It was. It was. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was nice. We had a bit of a downpour, but it was. It was nice. Um, what's plans for? I mean, what's what's what are you now thinking about as plans? for coming out of this like are you making plans have you got that far are you looking at the winter you are you already looking at next summer are you just i mean i know we we mentioned going we'll do the gig on the sunday and we'll speak on the monday are you taking it day by day week by week or have you got a little plan for coming out of this is there a melon bomb plan is there a, a ben and laura plan is there a ben santiago plan or is it how are you uh, looking at stuff I think right everyone's now? just everyone's just waiting to see really felix uh laura and i our, our plan really is just just kind of wait I, I think we're quite anxious about uh the winter ahead to be honest with you and as a result of that i think we're going to be a little bit reluctant to travel but I'm not even sure that the opportunity is going to be there, to be honest with you. I, I don't see um, my uncle back in London. He works in large scale events. Uh, and I had a long chat with him the other day. Uh, and he reckons March, April next year at the absolute earliest. 
Um, so I'm not even sure there's going to be opportunities for us to travel. But yeah, that's, we're still getting inquiries, and 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 like we're just saying, and, until we know what's happening with everything, um, we're, we're not in a position to confirm anything. So we're kind of we're turning we're turning offers down, we're turning work down, and a lot of it is from promoters that are kind of hopeful that by whenever October, November, December, things will have resumed to normal. But um, yeah, as I say, we're, we're a little bit anxious about traveling in, in the winter. Um, we'll see if there's a big spike in numbers when flu season starts, then we will be staying put here. But yeah, if not, then uh, maybe we'll, I don't know. We'll make that decision. We'll cross that bridge cool. when we okay. come to it. Uh, well, I'm going to start wrapping up. There's two things that we do to wrap up the podcast. The first thing is I want from you, sir, a like a dream gig. I want you to curate um, a dream gig. You can take part in this gig if you want, or you can just be a spectator. But the first thing I want from you is a venue. So it can be a venue you've played before. It can be a venue you've not played, but you'd like to play. It can be a generic venue, like a small, tiny little basement or a big 50,000 festival. But first of mm. all, I want, I want, and it's, it's obviously in the moment, so it could be different if I asked you yesterday, it could be different if I asked you in a week. It's obviously different because mm. you maybe haven't done this sort of gig for a while this summer or whatever. So it's, it's just in the moment right now in, you know, you in IB for in middle of this strange summer. But the first thing I want is, um, is a venue where we're going to have this. Then I want three acts. Um, it's not particularly a headliner. They're all sort of, you know, middle of the thing. Um, you can, you, like I say, you can be part of it. It can be Melon Bomb, it can be you and Laura, it can be just you, or you can just be there enjoying it and you can curate the three acts you want. Um, DJs, bands, Dead or Alive, back-to-backs, live things, whatever you want, it's down to you, but this is the gig that you are going to create for us to, to, to finish the podcast. So first of all, Ben Santiago, where is this big gig going to take place? The Royal Abbot Hall. Amazing. In London. <laughs> it's my, it's my favourite building inside and out. I love it there. Um, so, yeah, it'd be the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, I know two of the acts. I'm trying to think of a third. Um, Pink Floyd would definitely be my first choice. Um, I, I, I love all types of music, but for me, Pink Floyd is a league above everything. Everything in the history of recorded music, Pink Floyd supersedes uh dj wise my favorite dj is luciano so he would probably be wrapping things up um god i'm struggling and i know what's gonna happen once i put the phone down to i'm gonna (laughs) come up with all sorts of answers um damn god i can't i don't know i don't know let me think yeah um we could slide. You know what? The Beatles, the Beatles. The Beatles. Before, the Beatles. <laughs> like <laughs> what the a Beatles. Line so it would be the Beatles, just so then I could see the Beatles. Uh, then Floyd, and then uh, and then Luciano. What a lineup! I've, I've and, really yeah, enjoyed that. Whole, and, and the other stipulation would be no mobile phones are allowed because okay. they just kill the vibe. Well, that's definitely. It's definitely a. The most eclectic we've ever had, and B, I like the stipulation of no mobile phones, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely down. Um, if anyone wants to find out before we sign off, if anyone wants to find yeah. out more about anything that you do, so whether that be Melon Bomb, your own stuff, you and Laura, music, mm. follow you, events, just hit me with anything that people can search, um, links, Google, whatever. Where can they find more about the stuff that you are involved with, sir? 
Uh, I'm kind of strictly Instagram these days. I gave up on Facebook. I don't even go on there. I've got a blocker on my home thing, so I don't even scroll on it. Um, and all I really use now is Instagram. So my Instagram um, uh, thing, I can't think of the word, DJ Ben Santiago. Cool. So it's at DJ Ben Santiago. Cool. And then, so what the last thing is of the of the, of the the podcast is, you're going to give me a record to play out the podcast. Um, it is, again, just in the moment right now. I mean, you could go back to that record you mentioned right at the start, but you're going to tell me the name of a record. I'm going to put it in in post, but you're basically going to introduce that record and why it's playing this conversation out. So I guess it's, I guess what I'm asking you for is something that just strikes of this conversation of this moment, the mindset that you're in right now, and something that you would like people who have just listened to our chat for the previous 50 minutes or so to now hear. Uh, I would go for just off the top of my head, you know what I'm looking out and I can see the sea and the Balearic sky is turning pink from the sunset um and there's a there's probably one of my favorite kind of Balearic sounding records uh, there's a track from 89 i think it is uh it's by the beloved and it's called the sun rising uh and it's just a beautiful Balearic number i'd probably go to that ben santiago thank you very much for the chat mate i wish you all the best for the summer and i hope to catch you soon my pleasure lots of love Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are.